Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. So amazing, isn't it, to see those kids and the hope and the joy that they have. I hope all of you can come next year. Huh, that would be a, that'd be quite a trip, wouldn't it? But we would love for you to get to come with us next summer. It's amazing. Our, our mission team went a few weeks ago and their lives are more changed, I think, than the kids that they helped as I've heard their stories about seeing such unexplainable hope. Have you known people like that before that their circumstances are not very good and you just don't understand where that well of hope and joy comes from and those kids just have it, which is I started ta- thinking about hope and studying, I started wondering, is it caught or taught? Age old question, right? Is this something that they have learned by seeing the example of other people or have they been taught in their Bible school about biblical hope and God's hope? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, they are a people that has nowhere else to hope but the Lord that their circumstances, there's no medical things that can probably fix it because they don't have the money to go there. So they really have to trust on God in different ways than we do. So when we talk about hope, we're gonna talk a lot today about hope. You and I throw that word around a lot. I hope you have a good day. If your kids are going to school, I hope you do well on that test, right? We're gonna pray a lot as school gets ready to start. For that, I hope that you have a safe drive, you're traveling a long way on vacation or it's rainy weather, whatever it is, our hope when we say that tends to be a little bit more wishful thinking, especially if it's about our kids in the test and let's be honest and we know they didn't study and they played video games or watch Netflix all night, we know, right? But when we start talking about biblical hope, it's a little bit different than wishful thinking. I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you had to really hope. Hope in a way that maybe you haven't before because you were a little bit uncomfortable. So when I was in high school, we had driver's ed. I don't know if any of you guys remember this. In high school, we actually had a class. It was driver's ed. They're like, yes, I remember. There was, you didn't have, you could take it as an elective whether than art or PE or something like that. And you got to go a lot of class time first, right? And then we got to go outside and really drive the cars around. Our, our school had, a, I went to LD Bell and our school had this big tower and the teacher was up there and you had to turn the radio on so you could hear, we'd be changing it to other stations, just heads up on that. So I love driver's ed and I decided once I got in there, I really didn't need to wait till I was 16. If you guys know me, I'm a little bit hard-headed and I had decided I knew all there was to know. So I went to my mom and dad and said, hey, I think I should get my hardship license. And my dad said, okay, what is your hardship? And I said, mom won't take me everywhere I wanna go. So I think I should be able to get this hardship. So my dad said, okay, what do you have to do? And I said, I have to go down to the DPS and go before this guy and plead my case. And he was like, yeah, why don't you go do that? He figured that would probably never happen. Well, guess what? Yes. You know me. So I went and I said, hey, I really need my license. People had told me if you say you need it for work, that like that was a good thing. So I told them, and I did. I had had a job for several months. I got a job at Sears when I was 15. And I was, I was working and I told him I needed to get back and forth to work and I babysat some on the side and I needed that. And I was in drill team and we had a ton of practices and, and school and all. I think he was so tired of me talking. He's like, give it to her. So they did. So I got my hardship. And then the problem became I didn't have a car. 
So my dad said, well, hey, Mary, here's the deal. I'm gonna help you with your first car. And whatever money that you can save, I will match. I was like, yes. I said, so daddy, if I match $10,000, you're gonna give me $10,000. He said, yep, whatever you can save, I will match. Well, he knew I was a little impatient. So I saved $1,800. I found a Ford Pinto. I think it was like the auto trader then. Y'all remember that? I found a Ford, orange Ford Pinto. And it was gonna be $3,600. So we went, we bought the car, had my license, I was ready to go. And it was a standard, it was a stick shift. I learned how to do that. So my two best friends that I had met in driver's ed, they didn't have their license yet, they were gonna have to wait. So I drove a whole lot around and my Pinto had, do y'all remember the Ford Pinto? I'm wondering, yes. Well, it had a problem. It was blowing up, like if you hit the gas tank, it would blow up. So they don't make them anymore. And luckily, mine never blew up, I never was rear-ended. So it had two bucket seats and the console in the middle. Well, you know, three girls, nobody wants to be in the back seat. So we always, somebody sat on top of the console, console and we rode together. So the big thing in our life at that point was cruising because we didn't have cell phones. We didn't know where our friends were. So you just got in the car, you drove around. Um, I grew up in the HEB area and the big thing was Bel Air Shopping Center. So we would go drive that whole thing, hopefully. Get to see our friends who were out cruising around as well. And hopefully see some cute guys from Trinity because we were tired of all of our guys at Bell. And... So me and my two best friends, we're out, we're driving, we meet these guys. So they're rolling down the window, they're talking. At first we thought they were cute, they kind of started talking like, mm, no, we didn't like them anymore. So we're driving off, so they start following us. So my friends are like, oh my gosh, we're 15, right? They're following us. I said, hey, no worries, I've seen this on TV. All you do is you go really fast, you turn a corner, they're gonna get stuck at a light, we're gonna lose them. So that is what we did, and we drove back through some neighborhoods and I said, hey, we're gonna pull over right here, turn the car off, duck down, they're gonna go right past us, they'll never see us. No judging, I was 15, right? So my orange Pinto, they saw us. So we ducked down, turned off the car, we're being as quiet, and we can hear their car coming, we can hear the radio. And my friend Kim looks behind me, she says, Mary, your foot's on the brake. So they thought we had stopped to talk to them. So I'm starting it quick. Put it in first, we're out of there. They're probably going, those girls are crazy. They didn't follow us anymore. But as we were hunkered down, hoping that they didn't see us, which was really wishful thinking, because they did, and we really weren't basing that on anything different. So what I wanna talk about today is think of something in your life that maybe you have been wishful thinking that you really want it to be more on a firm foundation and you want to see God's biblical hope in that. So what is hope? I looked it up in Webster. Here's what Webster says. Hope is belief that something will be fulfilled. So we know, kids, you study for a test. You have a good hope that you might make a good grade. If you don't study, since school, they're going, okay, okay, I know, school's starting. Um, we want to have a hope that is really a little bit more biblically attached. So I'm gonna look in the Old Testament Original language in the Old Testament was Hebrew, right? I looked up that word hope, and I went to the New Testament and looked up that Greek word for hope, and neither one of them have any doubt attached to them at all. Isn't that interesting? Here's what the definition says of those words. They were almost exactly the same. And it said, it's a confident expectation based upon a sure foundation, which that's Jesus, that we can wait with confidence. 
In other words, there's no doubt. When we have our faith in Jesus and we're praying about something that is attached with him, there is no doubt that we will be okay in the end. Well, what we want come to happen, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now, maybe, maybe not. Because I've prayed for a lot of things in biblical hope that did not happen. But when we're attached to it with Jesus, we have a little bit different perspective and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Wishful thinking is a poor strategy, but when your host hope is biblical hope, it really has the power to change lives, to change hearts, and to change futures. So we're gonna look at a hopeless situation in the Gospel of John today. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to John chapter eight. And we're gonna look at a story about a woman who really had no hope. We're gonna look at the situation that she's in. She really was completely out of hope. Let's start in verse one. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. So I want you to get this picture. This is not me too friendly, spoiler alert. This is not a good situation at all. These guys are all surrounded around her. These guys who had actually been sacrificing up on that altar of their sins, but they bring her in to point out one that she's doing. And I want you to kind of put yourself in her situation for a minute, what she must have felt like looking at the eyes of all of these guys looking down upon her and wondering if she's literally getting ready to die and what's gonna happen to her. It was actually just a really scary situation. So let's go on. She's the teacher. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Remember back in the day, Moses brought the first original words of God to them in the tablet. So they're saying, hey, this is what Moses said. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So we can feel the tension, right? If he says, I disagree with Moses, they're gonna say, okay, you're a liar, you're a fake, you're not really who you say you are. But if he says, yes, that's what Moses said, let's stone her, he's joining in with them while they're killing a woman. And John lets us in on a little secret. I love that, straight in that verse because he says, it's a trap. So the Pharisees were hoping, so here's their hope. We're gonna talk about two different hopes. The Pharisees' hope and then the woman's hope. The Pharisees' hope was a little bit different than hers. The Pharisees' hope was to get rid of Jesus. He was really not talking about anything that they wanted people to follow. So their goal in this whole thing is, let's see if we can trap him and we can figure out how to get rid of him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So they ask him a question, get this picture. They're all looking at him. The woman's looking at him. Jesus doesn't say a word. He bends down and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he was writing. Theologians all over the page on this. Some say that he was writing the names of those in that circle who had committed adultery also, maybe. Some say he was just writing their sins down because he's God and he knew them and nobody else would have known them but him and that would startle them. I'm not really sure what he was writing, but I do know Jesus was sending a message that he cared more about liberating this woman than he did proving something to these men that were standing around because Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and he was showing this as vividly as he could, 
She is one of the lost, and I'm here to save her and not to condemn her and prove a point. At this, those who began, oh wait, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and word on the ground, word on the ground again. So they're thinking, okay. I love the next one because it says, at this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. I don't know if they were looking at the sins and they were, he's writing on the ground or if their senses just came to them and went, well, I know I've sinned. The older ones first until Jesus was left with the woman standing there, just the two of them. She's looking at him face to face in shock that he had taken up for her. Nobody had ever done that before. And for the first time, she felt valued, she felt heard, and she felt seen. So her hope had been in a different place, right? She had been trying to find security in all of these men who had left her stranded and alone. And now she's hearing from this one man that maybe there's a little bit different plan. So Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I commend you, Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So her hope changed from her circumstances to where she had been living to now she could have a whole new life. And I believe she got that right away. I don't know if she actually did what he commanded her to or not. We don't know. Scripture doesn't talk about that, but I believe she did. I believe she had an encounter with Jesus Christ. She saw the love that he had for her and she knew her life could be different not because she had to repay something. And that's what the Pharisees were talking a lot about is repayment. She needs to repay. And to be really honest, I do that sometimes, do you? When somebody does something wrong, we feel like, hey, they should have to pay for what they did, especially if they're hurting somebody who's close to us. But in all reality, we don't need to worry about repayment. God says, that's my job. I'm gonna make sure that that happens. You don't need to worry about that. What you need to worry about is repenting. We need to worry ourselves because we sin every single day and repenting just like he asked those guys to. And maybe some of you here have never even asked Jesus into your life and you need to repent and do that first before you can have this relationship with him. The enemy wants to keep us replaying our mistakes and our regrets over and over in our head. I do that a lot, do you? Sometimes I'll say something I shouldn't have said or respond in a way I shouldn't have responded. And I I can ask forgiveness and I know that God forgives me, but I'll keep playing it, hoping for a different outcome, which it never comes, right? So we need to really concentrate on forgiving ourselves as well. God's forgiven us. So if you're in that phase, if you are in the stage of repenting and maybe your life has been going in a direction you never thought it would and you promised other people it wouldn't, I wanna tell you right now, just as Jesus told her. You're forgiven. Go and don't live in that life anymore. You don't have to do that. And I forgive you. Forgive yourself because you can't be offering hope to other people if you are so trapped down in the things that you didn't do that you are living there. You're not living in the freedom that God has called for you to live. I love Psalm 103. If you're in that place, just write this down. Go read this on your own. I won't read the whole chapter to you. But this whole chapter talks about God's grace and compassion and mercy for us. I'm gonna read a few of the verses eight through 12. To you, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And this is my favorite part. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God forgives us. And our job is to forgive ourselves, to put it before the cross. It's done. Jesus has covered that. I have a question for you. If you're struggling with your hope and giving others hope, if someone came up to you tomorrow, so maybe you met somebody or somebody who's been around you a while and has been watching your life saying, I do not understand how you continually have an optimistic outlook on life. I don't understand why you're so positive in this hope that you have. I wonder, would you be able to verbalize that and tell them about this biblical hope that we're talking about today? First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're not talking about a circumstantial hope, a wishful thinking hope. We're talking about the biblical hope. And if your faith in your life is not based on the biblical hope, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're headed for a dark pit. Because something really awful is gonna happen in your life and it's gonna shake you. Even if you have the biblical hope, something awful in your life is gonna shake you just like Lainey was talking about today. But over time, that reservoir that you have that God's been continuing to fill you with will eventually pull you out of it if you have the biblical hope. Hoping in our own strength is never enough, although we always try that. So I'm gonna give you three things today. So I want you to leave today having these three things to take with you, to have these in your pocket that when something happens, like maybe tonight, right? Hopefully tomorrow. When something happens that you're gonna be able to apply this and to use biblical hope to give you a new perspective in God's perspective. So number one is remember God's power. If our hope is rooted in God, he gives us his power, remember? Um, like Bill was talking about that reservoir, I love that because once we have his power, we can have it as a river to give to others. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is within us. So when we ask Jesus, yes, I believe in what he did on the cross and we ask him to come live in our life, we call it the Holy Spirit. God's spirit comes and lives within us and it gives us power. It's really the secret sauce that's gonna allow you to maneuver through the difficult days ahead. Okay, number two, God's presence. We're so lucky because we have God's word. When you look back at our forefathers, they didn't get to know all the stories that we have of how God showed up and protected the Israelites and David and all of those great stories that we know. Um, so they had to really have a closer relationship than God, than we do. Joshua 1.9 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go in your difficult situation, he's there. If you get up in the morning and you're not really sure, guess what? He's there. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. So I hope that's one of the most comforting things for you when you're feeling like, hey, I'm trying to rely on my spouse and he's not in such a great place either. Or I'm reaching out to my mom and dad and they're not filling me up because they're not meant to. Only God with his presence is meant to fill you up. So hope in nothing 
our circumstances leads to hopelessness, but our hope and the biblical hope and the foundation of Jesus is gonna give us hopefulness, and that's what we can lean on. All right, last one, number three, God's promise. The people of the first century were struggling, probably, I know so, maybe more than we were with, where was their food gonna come from, and was God gonna really provide for them and keep them safe? So they were struggling just like we were. In Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So this verse doesn't say all things are good. In fact, no, all things are not good. You guys have had some horrific things happen to you as well. We're not saying that that was good, but what we're saying is God is gonna use it at the end of the day to be for good in your life and in other people's lives. I think today God wants us to start hoping helplessly and to start hoping in biblical foundation because we can put our hope in Jesus Christ. He was fully man, fully God, 100% man, 100% God, and he came to this earth and died for us so that if we believe in him, we can have his power in us to do the things that we cannot do on ourselves. And yes, God's gonna give you more than you can handle. And there's gonna be some difficult circumstances because in those, that's when we turn to him. It happens over and over in our lives again. So I wanna give us a hands-on activity today. So I wrote on a post-it note, you can do it however you want. I do better with this, put it on my mirror when I get up in the morning, um, that I can look at this. So whatever hits you tomorrow, and I'm not sure what it will be. Maybe your car won't start in the morning. Maybe your air conditioner broke. Maybe your toilet overflowed. Maybe a kid woke up sick. Maybe you got a really bad diagnosis this last week. And I know a few of you have, because you've let us know. And maybe you're wondering, how are you gonna have hope when you get up tomorrow? So you're gonna write it on a post-it note or an index card, and you're gonna put this on your mirror, and it's our number one, God's power. And you're gonna get up and you're gonna go, okay, God, I know Ephesians 3.20 says you can do more than I can imagine or think. Your power is at work in me. Claim it, God. Help me do this today. Number two, God's presence. Joshua 1.9, help me be strong and courageous. Thank you for being with me wherever I go. I know I'm not alone today, God. Thank you for your presence. Number three, God's promise. Romans 8.28, I know you're working in this situation. It really stinks, Lord. And I really wish I wasn't going through this but I am, and I know you're gonna use this for my good. Thank you, God, use me today. Be with me today and empower me, strengthen me to do what you've called me to do. If we will do that every single day for the next month or so, we can start recalibrating our minds to think with God's perspective and not just with our perspective. So remember, Satan's plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. If you don't know Jesus, that's gonna be his number one thing, making sure you don't do that. But if you know him, that's his next thing. Let's keep you separated. Let's keep, keep them questioning. Let's keep them from relying on God's biblical hope that will change their life and the lives of those around them. So if you already know Jesus, you should hurt for those who don't. For your neighbors, for the people that you work with, for your family members, you should be really sad that they don't know Jesus. Yes, for salvation, so they can be with us all in eternity in heaven one day, but they don't have this biblical hope to help them through the really tough times. So that's why we do what we do every single weekend here at this church. We provide an atmosphere where you can bring people 
where they're gonna get to hear about Jesus Christ. They're gonna get to hear, oh, don't give up. We have hope for you. I'm sorry, things are so bad right now. There's, there's hope for you. Come to church with me. Have your kids invite their friends. Parents will usually come if you invite the friends. It's a great way for you. You guys remember a few uh, months ago, we had man night. Anybody here go to man night? All right, there's Jordan. <laughs> He's like, yes. Lots of you guys went to man night because we had a lot of men here. Fun, barbecue, axe throwing. It was a great night. And one of our friends, Jimmy, um, my, came up to me and said, hey, I have this friend. Um, I invited him from work. Is it okay if he comes? And I said, sure. So that night of man night, his friend showed up. He said, I don't think he's ever been in church before. So this is gonna be a shock for him. And I said, oh, bring him. And he loved it. I got to talk to him a little bit afterwards. He loved the speaker. We had a guy came that had talked about he had been in Afghanistan and had saw some really bad things and had lost some of his closest friends there, was having to send them home, having to call their wives. And he talked about the hope that he was striving to keep because it was really, it was a tough time for him. And that as he began to put his hope back in Jesus and encouraging those around him, he knew it was because his faith in the Lord honestly that he made it home. And he talked to that night to our guys about if you don't have that relationship, please ask Jesus into your heart, please do that. So the next week, Jimmy comes up to me and he says, hey Mary, remember my friend that I invited to come? And I said, yeah, I do, I remember him. And he said, well, he died last weekend. I said, what? And he said, yeah, he had a heart attack and he just died. Man, that's tough to process, isn't it? that God had asked him, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy was faithful. Hey, Jimmy, invite your friend. And he did. We don't know, honestly, if his friend asked Jesus into his life or not, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know he heard the gospel and I know Jimmy was faithful and had done what he had felt God was calling him to do. Can you imagine if Jimmy wouldn't have asked him and he had heard the next week that his friend had died and he hadn't even exposed him to the word of God? So that's my challenge for you guys. Invite your friends. Come, this is why we do events. This is why we, we have another one coming up, Blueprint. We, we create environments for you to invite your friends so they can be in a place where they can learn about hope. Because we have the opportunity each and every day to tell people about hope, to tell them about Jesus. Today, as school's getting ready to start, I can't think of anyone who is on the front lines doing that more than our teachers. They have a super tough job, don't they? So if you are a teacher, I'm gonna ask you to be brave, be loud and proud, please stand. We want to spend some time praying for you. Yes, there they go, come on. We are so thankful for you and we're praying God's blessing. So please stay standing. And I'm gonna ask everybody to stand because I know they're not going to keep standing by themselves. So I'm gonna make it a little bit easier. So everybody stand with them. If you saw a teacher around you, would you put your hand on their shoulder or maybe just put your hand towards them. We're gonna pray God's blessing and safety for them as they embark on this next year. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the teachers in this room, Lord. We, um, we honor them, we encourage them. We pray right now for their classrooms. We pray for the teachers, administrators, principals, there's office staff, there's counselors, there's nurses. Lord, we pray right now for their safety. Sometimes it's a, it's a dangerous place to be in a school in the world that we live in, Lord. We're praying for them. We're praying 
that their classrooms will be just amazing, that the bonds that will be formed, that there'll be no bullying, that the kids will encourage each other. It'll be a place of positivity. It'll be a place of love. And I have no idea the kids you're placing in each of these teachers' rooms, but you already know. And you know what love that those kids are gonna need that maybe they're not getting at home. Would these teachers be the ones that are able to empower those kids and impact them for the rest of their lives by just their love and encouragement? We pray these kids will excel in their studies as never before, they'll study. God, we know that you call us to spread your love with others. And I pray for tons and tons of opportunities for these teachers to do that, maybe with their words, but mostly I know it will be with their actions, Lord. We love you so much in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.